you are listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. listening and watching from around the world this is the f11 photography podcast i am your host kevin deal along with your other host one mr brandon gory hello everyone it's nice to be here hello welcome back to the f11 photography podcast so what's up man what you been up to um, not a whole lot. I'll tell you what, we just got in touch with our realtor for a new place coming this August. Uh, you're and getting a, uh, apartment. Well, we're looking at apartment or house. We need space to build out this concrete thing because turns out- Building out brutalist concrete bunkers. <laughs> turns out we need more space. And so there's this funny thing. Uh, we're getting in touch with our old realtor, but we've- We've kind of waited. We've hesitated to do so because this woman, because she's making commission, she's absolutely fantastic at her job. But as soon as you contact her, it is it is a flood of phone calls, emails, and texts about like, okay, can you meet here? Can you do this? Can you do that? And we're all busy. So my brother and I, we've been hesitant to contact her because we know that as soon as as soon as we just say hey, we need a place. We know that we're just going to get phone calls at odd hours of the day and it's just going to be nonstop pressure to, to close on a place. Reminds me of shopping for a car, which we won't go into that 20-minute yeah. well, side tangent. And so, okay, so I emailed her today. <laughs> I emailed her today and I, I told my, I asked my brother, funny enough, I texted him. I was like, okay, what's your high-end budget? And he doesn't give me his budget. He says, have you awoken the beast? <laughs> <laughs> that's so he, funny. Yeah. So that's what we've been up to. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, F11pod.com uh, is where you can find us. Uh, if you follow us on the social medias, we much appreciate that. If you could click the subscribe button below if you're watching. Uh, if you're listening, you already probably subscribe and download and all that. And for all of you listening, uh, my apologies about last week's episode because there were uh, some heavy visuals that were hard to follow along. We'll fine tune that hopefully starting today. Um, we're growing, which is great. Thanks to all of you. And uh, as you grow, you get some uh, constructive criticisms, uh, which we got. Uh, one, which I think was sound and well thought out, and the other, maybe not so much. So uh, let's do a recalibration real quick. For those of you who find this podcast, it's episodic, meaning that we do things in a linear order. Uh, Brandon and I, we have banter back and forth, uh, and we we bust each other's balls and we tell jokes and all that. And if you're not a regular listener, you may not be in on the joke. And the way we do this pod is that we we talk for 10, sometimes 15 minutes. Sometimes 20. Sometimes 20, depending <laughs> on if the topic is uh, something that we want to talk about. And then we get into what the pod is actually about. So if you're of the TikTok mindset, 
This may not be the right place for you to land. But the other thing that you got to keep in mind is that, uh, you know, you may just not know what's going on because you land on our pod uh, and you're just like, hey, they're telling all these jokes and I don't know what's going on. But we don't cut right to the chase. So we're not that type of pod and we never will be because we don't change. We just do what we do. And if you like us, you'll subscribe. And if you don't, you'll move on. But some people, they got to take it a little further than that. So first, I want to get the positive constructive criticism out of the way from our last pod, which was our color grading. Uh, There was a gentleman who wrote in and he said, hey, I really liked your thumbnail. I was hoping to see how you color graded those images. And then we didn't. So (laughs) so I think that uh, we should what we should do is we should totally do a color grading episode again in the future where we color grade those images but instead of using those images as the thumbnail, we should use the images of Tanya as a thumbnail so we can get a new person getting mad at us. Or yeah, maybe we should just maybe we should just color grade those. But and I do then, think And then at the end we should have the suggestive video be the, the, the inverse video. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. But uh that to me is uh actually good constructive criticism that I think helps us get better as a show. And I do want to see Brandon color grade those two images because they're pretty fantastic in my opinion. Uh, however, uh, there's kind of like four people who would tune into this this channel, this this YouTube channel. Uh, people who see us, they like the banter, and then they like what we talk about in terms of uh, the subject of the day. And then there's other people who they, they, they don't like the banter, but they like the subject. Uh, there's people who just don't like us at all, and they tune out, and that's totally fine. And then, unfortunately, there's a fourth type of person, and that's people who belo- who uh, fall below an intelligence threshold. Who, <laughs> yes, yes, I, I'm being harsh, but this is our this is our fifth episode into YouTube, and oh, already yeah. we're bashing yeah. the. No, audience. no, no, no. Well, this person's never coming back. So, so that's, YouTube was invented on December fifteenth, two thousand and five. We are eighteen years in change. Uh, into YouTube, right? Yeah. Uh, so uh, I grew up pre-YouTube, and there's a lot of you who might be younger who don't know the world without it. Maybe you're born in the year 2000, you're 22. By the time you came of age to use the internet, YouTube was already a thing. So you are well-tuned on how YouTube works. Well, there was a gentleman who wrote in who said tons of basic blah, 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 blah on our last episode, and then called it a total scam. So I want to do a test. Brandon has no idea what I'm about to do, but I'm about to switch us on over to my laptop. And Brandon, I just want you to count one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi in your head because uh, I'm going to find the color grading. You ready? All right, here we go. And we're going. And the episode's starting. I'm moving the slider around. Oh, there's color grading right there. What are you at? What number? Five. Okay, so it took me five seconds to find us color grading, okay? And so... Uh, as I am uh, very condescendingly saying that people fall below a, a certain intelligence threshold, there's this really cool thing. Uh, since uh, apparently we've uh, evolved into how to use YouTube instead of a photography uh, podcast, check this out. There's a slider. You move it back and forth, and you just move the slider until you see color grading. Oh, there's color grading right there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this is going so, so this yeah, is yeah. wild. <laughs> yeah, this is wild. But, like, I just don't be that person. And I, I just want to say, like, uh, let's 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 reference somebody that I bet you a lot of our viewers know. Uh, let's talk about Frono's photos and Jared Pullen. I think he has a fantastic channel. I'm not a Lightroom user, but every like it seems like every five minutes during his uh, during his 
his uh his videos, he's like, hey, you know, get my my cinnamon toast crunch and my Skittles packs for Lightroom. And you know what I do? I don't write Jared Pullen and go, you suck because you're always plugging your plug-in packs and blah, 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 blah. I just I just grab the slider thing and I, I move it forward 30 seconds and then I move on with my life. It's it's yeah. actually funny enough. So to Kevin's point, I, I work for a major YouTuber and we plug maybe two to three times an episode. Mm-hmm. And the oh, we, we still get tens, not hundreds, but tens of comments talking about like, why do you have to keep plugging stuff? You're always plugging stuff. And it's like... Just move past it. It's 30 seconds. Just move on. But that goes to my point. It took five seconds for me to find uh, Brandon Color Grading in our last episode. It takes at least 15, 20, 30 seconds to type out a comment trashing somebody. It's like, just move on with your life, man. Like, seriously. And by the way, we're never going to change. This is what this show is. Uh, You can like it. And... Yeah, that's great. Subscribe. We love you. Uh, or you can not like it. And hey, that's fine. Uh, you can go find another show. You can go to TikTok if you need everything uh, fed to you in 30 seconds. That There's stuff for that. There's stuff for that on YouTube. They have shorts. You can go find YouTube shorts on how to color grade. But when you see a video that's an hour and eight minutes long, and it shows you, it says you're at one second out of an hour and eight minutes, you should know you're in for, for the long version, right? So there's going to be some banter. And I'm unapologetic about it. Uh, we are who we are, and this yeah. this is why I love working with Kevin is because he will he will take a point and drive it home. He will take a nine inch nail and in a single single swing he will he will put it right into the coffin. <laughs> Look, we love, love talking about photography. We love talking about videography, but at the end of the day, we're humans, and I just don't think that our show is interesting at all if you can't like know us as no, people. But and what we what makes us tick and but all that. Ab- absolutely. But that being said, we do want to be receptive and like there was constructive criticism. So like yes, going forward it would probably be a good idea to make sure that the thumbnail is both catchy, attractive, um, and relevant, and, and also relevant. Yeah. 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 So we're we're reasonable people, is my point. Just don't be one of those unreasonable people. It was a it was a Russian that that, that commented. Was he Russian? Yeah, Pyotnitsky. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know how to say uh, below a threshold of intelligence in Russian, mm-hmm. but that's you, bro. It's All a, right, let's go to our sponsor. Debil. Oh yeah. Go on. Today's episode is brought to you by. Luminar Neo. You can check out the link in the description below or simply use the code Kevin10 at checkout to get 10% off your copy of Luminar Neo today. And now, on to today's episode. Hey, this is Doss Miller, and you're listening to the F11 Photography Podcast. All right, we are back. Welcome back, guys. Yes, and the topic of the day today is going to be flash. So, uh, I hear people all the time say, I'm a natural light photographer. And I think we all know what that means. Let's address the elephant in the room. Unless you shoot landscapes, you're you're not a natural light photographer. And even some landscape photographers, especially astrophotographers, aren't technically natural light photographers. Um, what you're really saying is, is I don't know how to use flash and I've just lived with shooting in natural light. Now, can you make a career out of shooting whatever in natural light, whether it be a family out in a field or a model, you know, out in the streets where you absolutely can. So I'm not saying that like, it's, you know, like 
you suck or whatever, but I am saying that you don't know how to use flash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I am definitely very, saying very that. clearly, yeah. actually very clearly saying that you probably just don't know how to use flash. Now, if you go through and you learn how to use all different types of flash, everything from your speed lights to using scrims and shooting through a scrim and doing all these crazy Carl Taylor advanced styles of flash. And you just emerge out on the other side and go, I just don't like flash. Okay. You are the exception to the rule, and there's probably five or six of you out there who've gone through all types of flash and not fallen in love with one. So, okay, great. You're a natural light photographer, but everyone else, you're not. You're just, I mean, you are, but it's because you don't know how to use flash. And, you know, to me, you take the word photograph, capturing light, right? That's what it means. Uh, when you are a natural light photographer, you often aren't in control of your situation. So, uh, sometimes I forget or am lazy and don't bring my flash with me. I might meet a model downtown at like 1 or 2 p.m., right? Uh, which, of course, they tell you that you're not supposed to shoot in the middle of the day. And uh, by the way, that is actually uh, a bunch of crap because you look at this shot right here. And uh, yeah, that's taken at 11 a.m. The sun's out. I love that photo, Kevin. Thank I you. love that photo. Kevin's shown me this photo, I think, three times in the past two and a half weeks. And every time he does, it makes me think of like a 2000s new metal album cover or something. <laughs> yeah. It's such a it's, sick like thing. Well, uh, yeah. So this this shot was taken at uh, 1.2. Uh, very wide open. I'm standing about 50 feet, 60 feet back because I'm using a 75 millimeter, which is about 112 with a crop. Uh, as far as perspective, and I shot that on my Fuji X-H2. But I just wanted to show that, like, you know, you can take somebody downtown and, and use harsh light. But that's that's uh, that's a little bit on a side tangent. My point being is that uh, I will go and I will use the skyscrapers. I'll use the reflectivity of the sun hitting the skyscrapers a certain way to light up my models a certain way. But I'm not in control. I didn't build the buildings. I didn't uh, change the position of the sun. Now I can pull out apps to figure out where the sun is and in an to an extent, I have a little bit of control. There's a lot of stuff I don't have control of. I don't have control over the distance of the light to the subject because they're out in the street. I can't move the skyscraper closer to them at that angle. I can't change the width of the light if I want to like throw a grid over a skyscraper. I think you might have a hard time throwing a grid over a skyscraper. And so shaping light and controlling light, you don't do that. You don't do that. You are at the mercy of light. And there are limitations to how far you can take that. So let's say uh, you're a quote unquote natural light photographer. And what you do for a living is you go take families out into fields and you shoot them or you do couples engagement photos. And the couple says, hey, uh, next Wednesday is the only day we have available for the next like four months to do this. And we want to and they give you a, a mood board and it's nothing but golden hour shots. Everything's golden hour. It's beautiful. Right. And then you wake up that Wednesday morning and it's fucking overcast. Yep. That happened to me the other day. I, I was planning to do a, a shoot with a model. We we're going to spend the whole day and go through about nine rolls of film with the new Mamiya RB67 that I got, new to me. And we had planned for sunlight. All the locations that we were going to spend the next five, six hours shooting were all planned for the sunlight. I knew where the sun was going to be. I knew what the locations were going to be like at what time. And then the clouds came and there's nothing we could really do about that. And so... You know, of course, the plan shifted, but to Kevin's point, you can't control it. You, you, you can control it with flash. Okay. You see this guy right here? 
Oh, it's overcast. Oh, that's cool. It's overcast. So you're saying that I don't have golden hour anymore? That's bullshit. You you create your golden hour. <laughs> that's bullshit. You take this color temperature orange gel, and oh my gosh, it's a direct small source of sun, basically a light. It, it basically emulates the sun. It's a tiny little thing of light, and it's orange. Well, now I can take this light, I can put it off the camera somewhere, and I can make sunlight happen. Uh, will it look a tad artificial? Yeah, but it's a hell of a lot better than taking overcast shots of a couple for their engagement photos. And chances are, you know, the little things that annoy you as a photographer, they're not going to notice. Uh, you know, there's things like, yeah, I, I say this all the time. Nobody notice. gives a shit about noise. They never yeah, notice. They never notice. Like uh, we, the only people who care about stuff like noise are, are photographers and, and, you know, like little things about artificial light that bug us about photographers, your your, your couple's gonna be like, oh my god, this person, uh, like is like MacGyver. They took yeah. this and they and they, they manufactured uh, golden hour and they saved our shoot. And then of course you can like adjust your color temperature accordingly, and and you're good to go. And look, I know the objections to flash. Uh, people go, well, I don't like flash because it looks artificial, and there's reasons why flash looks artificial. Hold on. So, uh, first and foremost, one of the reasons why flash looks artificial is because when you're growing up, you're used to seeing uh, this shit right here. God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Uh, yeah. It's so artificial. Uh. <laughs> yeah. So, I'll, I'll, I'll put these pictures I just took of Brandon. Uh, you'll see them below as we're talking. Uh, and by the way, like, check these out, man. They're really bad pictures of you. Yeah, there you go. I mean, that looks like shit. I need to clean and my that's, teeth. <laughs> that's why people don't like Flash is because it looks artificial. But I would push back on that and say that it's it's not artificial because it's artificial. It's artificial because it's misapplied. People don't know how to use Flash as a tool properly, and therefore what they see looks artificial. So in the case of what I just showed you of Brandon – that looks artificial. Uh, I'll, I'll pull up a, an image that I took that I intentionally wanted to make look artificial. So like I was in a cave and I just wanted to get that artificial look, but that is the quintessential, hey, you're obviously using flash look. I hit her with, uh, I'm, I'm in a cave and I hit her with hard light. I hit her with direct light and that's what you get. And so, yeah, I get it. That is, uh, that is flash, but same session, that is also flash. And that looks a little more natural. Okay. I mean, obviously I'm shooting at 1.2, so I'm, I'm dicking with the lens, but I'm using a soft box here and she looks a lot more soft because she's standing in shade okay, yeah. where it is soft. You've blended it to, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you've, you've blended it to the point where you don't think flash, you know, when you're using well, flash, that's the last you thing you want to think. You can see right here, that's sunlight right there. Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's a blend of sunlight. And there's a blend of flash, and I'm also using a color temperature blue gel there because she's in the shade and the color temperature changes. Uh, but yeah, so that is a misapplication. That is it. And then you'll also see, you'll see, and, and by the way, I, I say that the term natural light photographer is ridiculous. I'm also going to flip that on its head on the other side of the pendulum and say that people who say that they're off-camera flash photographers, they're equally as ridiculous because... To me, you just use the right tool. If it requires flash, you pull that tool out of your tool belt and you use flash. If it needs natural light, you use natural light. End of discussion. So if you just do off-camera flash, 
oftentimes you misapply off camera flash. And I, I see this a lot. So something that's popular, which makes me want to vomit in my mouth, are people who take somebody like where there's sundown. Okay. And I, I'm going to show you an example of when I did it. Uh, I think I've got it in here. Uh, maybe. It, oh yeah. I think I put it in my little comparison thing. So anyway, um, there it is. That's the one. So you'll see people take somebody and it'll be like sundown. Okay. And so here's a, here's an example of it. It's a little orange up here, right? But that's daylight. That looks, in my opinion, that doesn't look like a great shot. I, I, I pull up my bad shots and that's fine. That's a bad shot. And the reason why that's a bad shot is because I don't have the color temperature right. Now, I one thing I did get right on this that people get wrong, a lot of off-camera flash uh, photographers, is I am using a um, hard reflector on his face, which to me, at sundown, you have harsh sunlight, you use a hard reflector. You match the light you're given uh, in that that sort of scenario. In my opinion, this is just my opinion. A lot of off-camera flash people disagree with me. What they do is they go take a subject, they use the, the sun as rim light, and they get that nice orange look behind them. And then what do they do? They pull out a soft box, and then they don't use a color temperature orange gel. And so you see this beautiful orange glow around somebody and daylight balance 5600 in their face, and it's soft. And that looks manufactured and in my opinion it looks terrible yeah but there's an entire culture about it so there's probably people watching this are like kevin you're wrong and hey it's opinion but i do think that mismatching color temperature looks weird uh in this example that i'm showing you in my work that doesn't look right to me that looks bad in my opinion and that's why i would never publish that on instagram or public but i'm i'm putting it here because i want to i want to show you examples of that now the flip side of that uh, here's a, an example of a Belarusian model I, I took a picture of, and I wanted to use color temperature. So you can see in the upper right, it is very blue right up there. And that's because what I did was I lowered the color temperature to make it extremely cool. And then I put this color temperature orange gel on this pro photo light and I hit her with it. And now her skin tone looks correct, but you've got a very blue sky. I mean, incredibly blue. And so it's just understanding your scene. And then, of course, yeah, when you have a little bit of orange and you have a little bit of blue, that gives you that whole teal and orange scheme, which people tend to like in terms of color harmony. But had I not had this on here, uh, the sky wouldn't have looked as blue. And her, I mean, I, I could have gotten her skin, her skin correct, but the background would have looked different. And so it's just understanding that, oh, wow, this is a tool and there's lots of things that I can do with it. And so uh, that's just an example of what you can do with color temperature gels. So like color temperature orange, color temperature blue, you see those for sale. If you're kind of new into flash, you're like, what are those even for? Or you buy a kit and they like give you these gels. And you're like, what are these things for? They also have color temperature green. What is color temperature green good for? Okay, you get hired to do uh, headshots in an office. And the office room you're in only has fluorescent lights, which cast green. And then you have light, you know, you, you, you can overpower that light and you can have a, a cast of your own that's green. So they'll match. And then you can pull that color temperature and make it look correct. However, if you have a green color cast on top of a daylight color cast, that's going to look like shit. That's it's really depressing to think about that like someone has to have a color temperature green so that they can go into your cubicle space and make sure that you look like you're not dead inside. That's <laughs> what that makes me. I'm just thinking of like Fight Club. I'm just like, did they shoot all the office scenes with a green color temperature thing? Like, it's really, 
I don't know why that just that disturbs me a little bit. I think it's really cool, like just to reiterate, like using the the orange and blue color temperature adjustment fills is basically telling your camera, listen, we're going to adjust the white balance on the camera for the flash itself, but everything that's not getting hit by the flash is going to be hit by that white balance adjustment. So like Kevin was saying, he threw an orange light on the model's face, adjusted his camera's white balance for that orange to balance the skin, and then everything else was blue cast behind her. And you can do the inverse, obviously, with a, with a blue gel filter. And it's a great way to kind of already set up a scene and almost split tone color grade ahead of time before you even start doing stuff in post. And not only that, but the best algorithm to hit your photo is going to be the one out of your camera first. So always try to do stuff before post. Speaking of, so something that I see far too often is that a lot of photographers don't understand how dynamic range compression works. So our cameras do not see as well as our eyes see. If I go uh, walk outside and it's 2 p.m. and the sun is out, and I have a, a, a rear-lit subject who has dark skin, I can see the blue of the sky, and I can see the shadows inside their dark skin, and I can pick out all that detail with my eyes. I own a Fuji GFX 100S. It's a beautiful camera. It has insane dynamic range for a camera, but it's still nowhere close to what I can see with my eyes. It still needs help. And so what is dynamic range compression? It's getting things closer to each other. So uh, I see this all the time. You take a darker skin subject, African-American. I know everybody, anybody who's watching this who's, who's black is going to know exactly what I'm talking about. So you take somebody who has darker skin and you try to take pictures of them uh, where they're rear lit. And of course they teach you, oh, expose for the highlights. Oh, cool. I'll expose for the highlights. And then you go into post-production and you try to pull detail out of their skin and it's just noise. There's no such thing as light skin anymore, man. It's all Ethiopian from there. Yeah, yeah I mean, there it is. <laughs> you, good, good luck because you're going to deliver that and there's going to be like this weird cloudiness and the shadows and the client's going to be like, what's up? Well, how do you get the darkest part of their dark skin to get closer to a blue sky? You use a flash and there you go. So... This is Tyler. She's an incredibly talented model. You see the Frost Bank building over her shoulder, which, by the way, yes, we are on train tracks. Uh, just a quick disclaimer, um, it, you know, go, if you know that train tracks aren't open in Austin, that is on Sundays, you're not really going to like have to worry about anything. So, uh, yes, we did go on some train tracks, uh, but we did take the proper precautions because they don't run the trains on Sunday, and that's when we shot this. So what you're seeing here, had I taken this shot with no flash, I could have gotten her skin right. But that blue, that blue background, there's a 0% chance I would have been able to pull that blue background in. Just not going to happen. Now, I wanted to highlight that I took her into the shade. And you can see up here, I, I purposely left this tiny little thing up here to show you that she's under a bridge. That's what it is. So she's in the shade right now in this shot. And I wanted to get the blue behind her because you kind of have that, I mean, her skin is kind of goldenish a little bit the way it yeah. was hitting it. So you got kind of that teal and orange color harmony going there. And I wanted to maintain the blue sky. And the only way you're going to do that with a dark skin subject is to use a flash. Like there, you can't, you're, there's no way you're going to pull that out. And you know, a lot of times I, I, I see this a lot with natural light photographers. They go take a family out into a field and they want that nice golden hour. They got the nice tall grass and all that. And your family has darker skin. And by the way, I'm not just singling out people with darker skin. It's hard to pull shadows out of people who are pasty white like me if the sun is intense enough behind them. Thus, 
giving you the reason why you should learn how to use a flash. Um, and then the opposite side of that. So uh, here is a shoot I did with fire. Okay. So right here, you see this. Uh, so I have a beauty dish here. Um, and then I, I use the Godox 8200. I rear lit her with two, two Godox 8200s. I had one teal and one kind of yellow. You can see the rims on her legs. And I had one light to the right and one light to the left. And that is what's lighting her up. Like that's what's rim lighting her basically. And then as you saw here, I had this uh, beauty dish uh, with a concentrated grid. I exposed for the flames. So I, I built my entire shoot around the flames because I wanted the flames to be that orangish, uh, yellowish color. And uh, that, that was the final result. And so another really cool thing that happened here is the reason why, uh, apparently this is bad technique, but I thought it looked cool. Uh, you're not supposed to have spray because it's supposed to get uh, killed by the flames. But uh, the fact that I rear lit it, the fact that I had two lights behind, that's how you see the spray. And I think it makes it look way more intense. And then of course you can see this beautiful combustion happening right around there, like a cloud of combustion happening, which is badass. So uh, point being is that there's a 0% chance I would have executed this without the assistance of Flash. I, basically, you would have just seen like a orange glow and then everything else around it would have been black. I, I, I forgot to bring some examples because there were some misfires that I had where you just see like an orange glow and like all this all this stuff around here, the, the MILF, I love MILF, which awesome graffiti, by the <laughs> I way. I don't want to say anything. No, no, I'll say it. But like, uh, I mean, you can see. Okay, you see how there's orange right here and then the orange stops. That's basically where this whole thing would have ended. You would have just seen an orange glow. She would have been a shadow. You wouldn't have really seen anything other than like here and here where the orange falls off. And that's it. The rest of this scene is lit up by flash. Yeah. Well, actually, I have a question for you, Kevin. And mm -hmm. this, I think this is something that some of the audience members might have as well. Is, is this something you can look up like, okay, what's going to be the luminance of the fire and how can I set my flash accordingly? Or is this something where you walk yourself towards that correct exposure? So I actually made a video on YouTube about this. It was my very first video I ever did on my channel. I'll just put the card up there so people can see it. But to give you a bit of a spoiler, uh, this was my very first time shooting fire ever. I had a friend of a model that I shot, and she's like, hey, I'm a professional, um, you know, fire artist or whatever. I don't remember what, what term she used, but I was like... Dragon. Dragon. Yeah, she actually had something called a dragon. Anyway, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> she actually had some sort of a device called a something dragon that she used, believe it or not. Okay. But okay. yeah, I learned a lot about fire that day. So <laughs> so, uh, so this shot, I'm mean, off the top of my head, I'll put the stats below, but I want to say that my ISO is around 1600 here because I wanted to try to bring some of the ambience of the fire lighting up some of this. And then I just compensated. I want to say I shot this at like F13. Um, that was the other thing is I wanted everything to be in focus. So I had to stop down. And the only way you can compensate is to raise your ISO. And so modern sensors can handle that. And so, like I said, I'll put the stats below. You'll see it. Uh, but that's how I achieved that shot. It was a three, technically four light if you, you, you count the fire. But you expose the fire. You, you get your light set up. Um, I used a 600-watt strobe as the key light to light her up from the front. And I used two 200-watt strobes, the all Godox, to light her up from behind to get that, that rim going. And you can still see the rim, by the way, in this shot. You can see right there the, the blue. You see the blue rim there. 
and you see the the yellow rim there and there. So those lights did have an effect, and I think having that rim makes the light more uh, makes the shot more interesting. I think I, I think you absolutely nailed this shot. I also think that those rim lights that's something that only you're gonna see because I think you captured the flames so well, and I think you captured the light on her face and her general figure so well that those rim lights. I don't think anyone's even thinking about. But I do think there's a subconscious psychological thing that if they weren't there, the picture wouldn't pop as much for them. They may not notice Ab the rim lights, yeah, but the rim lights to them make the picture look more uh, enhanced. Yeah. Even though they don't know why it's enhanced, the rim lights help. I want those rim lights there, you know, but people are looking at the flame for sure, especially that combustion. The combustion is just rad on that, man. I got, that was I, I was like, oh my gosh, I actually captured the moment. You can see all the transition happening right there yeah. and everything. So it's pretty, it was pretty rad. But point being is like, that's the first time I ever tried to capture fire. I can probably improve upon it, but my <laughs> point, you know, well, people, people like say, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of learning lights. It's like, I mean, I don't think that sucked. I know. Like I thought I thought I did a pretty good job and I never done it before. Look, you had me convinced and I'm a photographer. Like if you'd if you'd have told me that yeah, well I know now, but if you'd have told me that like, oh, that wasn't executed properly, I made some faux pas, I would I, I would not even know where to begin. Like I think you just did that so well. Well, thank you. And then um but yeah, that's that's just some examples of uh of why you should learn lighting, and then just some some other basic things I want to talk about uh, with different types of light. So, you know, there's like misconceptions. So I, I want to get back on the subject of hard light. Uh, I want to talk about this concept of trade-offs. So you get people who say, oh, you should always use soft light. That's not soft light. But damn, you could cut a freaking, you could, you could cut some stuff up with those cheekbones. Because you're not going to get those cheekbones with soft light. You don't get that with soft light. You get that with hard light. Hard light. Hard light is how you get those shapes. Look at those cheeks. I mean, look at that. That's hard light. The shadows, the hard shadows. That's all hard light. That's a kind of transitionary hard light that I did right there. Uh, that's a beauty dish, which is somewhat hard light. Uh, so here's, here's an example of my pro photo being used. Once again, hard light. It emulates the sun. And you get that with hard light. Now, what do you get that at the expense of? You get that at the expense of all shadows and anything with any sort of gradation whatsoever is like 10 times more powerful than it actually is. I'm not going to go too deep into editing, but I personally have the philosophy of I want to see things as I see them with my eyes. And if something is enhanced uh, too much, like in a negative way, I can tame it. So like uh, if somebody's arm is on the outside of the frame and it looks fatter than it is, I don't think you're breaking any sort of rule by making their arm look anatomically correct. I don't think you're doing anything wrong there. I also think that if somebody has slight bumps on their face and you're shooting with hard light and those bumps look 10 times larger and cast 10, 10 times of a shadow than they normally do, I don't think you're doing anything wrong by taming those shadows and making their skin texture look a little bit more correct. But if you're going to get those crazy cut cheekbones, you got to go for that hard light. Um, if you are shooting somebody who is uh, an athlete and, you know, maybe you're doing a bodyscaping session and you want to accentuate muscles, you know, shadows sculpt everything. Shadows sculpt. So if you want to uh, bring attention to somebody's, you know, their muscles or whatever, you're going to do that with, with, you know, hard light. That's how you're going to do it because the transition that you get well, so here, here's some examples of uh, some hard light stuff I've done in the studio 
you know, that's that's hard light right there. Uh, that's a softer version, so you can see the transitions on the legs. So rim lighting. Uh, that's obviously a hard light. You can see it right over her head. I use a little bit of atmospheric haze, but you know, you see like those tiny little rims on the legs, right? Uh, that's the hard light. That's that's the beautiful thing about hard light is it can accentuate uh, physique, right? So you see that, you see the leg, you see the arms, you can see the the hair all all in the air. I mean, hard light to me is 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 the way to do it. Uh, and you shouldn't be afraid of hard light. You should just you got to know how to tame hard light. Yeah, and a little little thing that might help you guys is when you do use hard light. Um, reduce the time in pro, uh, post-production uh, with all the retouching by using a polarizing filter. So if you use a polarizing filter when you're shooting harsh light, those reflections on the face, all those all those bright, shiny, sparkly reflections on the face, whether someone's a little bit oily, whether someone's just got a skin texture that's a little bit more reflective than others, if you use a polarizing filter, you're not going to see that, that rigid texture as much. And so it'll help your process. Uh, it'll help cut down some time as well. Absolutely. So something I want to show you real quick, hard light versus soft light. So this is that shot of test that I showed you earlier. This is her with hard light, red backdrop. I am literally using a 600 watt strobe with no modifier on it at all. It's just bare bulb. Now I'm going to, I'm going to show you the exact same setup with soft light, same backdrop, same outfit. All I changed is I put a soft box on. Look at how much that changed. Now I did use a grid. Uh, that's something else to keep in mind when you're shaping light is you can make the red darker because, and also the soft box is closer to her and uh, the inverse square law. If you get a light super close to somebody, A, it's super soft and B, uh, the, the fall off of light transmission to that backdrop is greater. So when you double the distance of something, you lose 75% of the light. So if I get something closer to her, I have to either stop down or change the power of my flash or whatever to get it right. And then that backdrop that you're seeing, all of a sudden now there's less light reaching it. And so, uh, but the point being is this is one example of hard light versus soft light and what you get. Now, what's the trade-off going the other way to soft light? Uh, with soft light, you get less skin editing that you have to do, which is great, right? Oh, I don't want to edit skin, right? But you don't have those hard cheekbones anymore. It is soft and it is beautiful, but it's a very different feel. It's not like that high fashion look that I got in that that very bright red shot. And so, uh, but just another example. So here's here's my buddy Parker. Uh, this is just an unedited shot of him, hard light. You see some of the trade-off. You get the bags under the eyes. He looks a tad rough. And then after the edit, you know, and, and I'm taking liberties there because had I used a softer light, those bags under the eyes would have been more tamed and controlled. You you give a little, you take a little, right? And that's what each of these do. So uh, here is an unedited image, soft light, and then edited. But, you know, very light. Can we go back to the, uh, the red background uh, grid versus no grid real quick? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, so as Brandon was asking about, we've got... Uh, he was asking about hard versus soft again. So yeah, this is done with just bare bulb. That's all it is. I just take a, a Godox or Flashpoint, uh, the 8600, and that's it. There's no modifier in it, nothing. That's it. That's all you get. And then you take, uh, let me go over to my comparison, which is, or where, where was that? It's, I called it trade-off. That's the name of my folder. And then same thing. And that is a gridded softbox. 
same background and everything. Now I'm, I changed the color red. That's a gridded softbox. Yeah. So notice that the background here, when you use a grid on your softbox, this is something that I'm exploring right now. That's why I'm bringing it up is the background color becomes more of a suggestion <laughs> than, than it does uh, when you've just got the whole thing lit. So with the bare bulb, you could have you could see that the red back the red background was as bright and attention seeking as the model herself. You see how much it adds, you know, that red is now juxtaposing the white that she's in and then the blueness of her eyes. You know, that's it's it's a player in the game. Now, when you go to the gridded, you're, you're really isolating that subject and the backdrop now becomes more of a suggestion. It becomes more of an ambiance. It becomes more peripheral in, in uh, the subject of the photo. And the blue of her eyes changes too a little bit. So uh, this is just softer light. But, but yes, I love doing that. Another, another thing, if you're lazy, like, or just let's say you're broke. Let's say you can't afford both a white and a gray backdrop. Let's say you make no money. Yeah. Well, let's say you own. Which I mean, to be a photographer. It, yeah. yeah. Well, like, I I get lazy sometimes. So like, usually like I have a, a I have a front desk here at my studio who sets up my my backdrops for me, and I'm super appreciative of that. And a lot of times I'll at least have a white and a gray. But sometimes I'm super lazy, and I don't even feel like pulling the gray down. I start with white. All I do is I'll t I'll do something like I'll I'll just grid a softbox. And then I'll have faster light fall off, and then the the backdrop will turn gray. I don't need a, a gray backdrop. And so if you're broke, just go. If you have a grid, just use your grid, and you can make gray. Now, conversely, if you take um, you know, a couple of lights and you flash them really brightly on a gray backdrop, you can make gray pure white. Not I've done that before. Not only that, yeah. more to Kevin's point, if you take cheap lights and you throw gel filters on them, you don't need a color backdrop in any case. You can just uh, gel it blue, gel it yellow, orange, red, pink, purple. You can gel a white wall any color as long as you're using a grid, isolating that key light on the subject alone. And then suddenly your backdrop, your white wall backdrop can become any color. Absolutely. Uh, want to stay slightly on uh, continuous. I'm sorry, not continuous. We're going to get into continuous light. We're going to talk about soft light just a little bit. So characteristics of soft light is you get uh, transitions in the shadows that are uh, you know subtle. But not as hard. Now, I believe this is a, a smaller softbox. This is another thing to keep in mind is that the larger the light source and the closer the distance is that source is to your subject, the softer the light. So a really good example of this is I did this the other day. This is one of the softest images I've ever taken in my career because I was experimenting with taking soft light and bouncing it off of an entire white wall to create even softer light, and then have that soft light hit a, um, a scrim right before it hits the model. So there's like three layers of diffusion on that. And so I took this uh, about three or four days ago. Can, can, I, can I ask what the specs were? Because that's a lot of diffusion. Like, was, the, was it one-to-one -one power? Um, ah, gosh, I, I, so it, actually, because the room is so large, it's a 710 square foot room. And one of the, the walls is just completely white. And so you don't need a lot of power. It's one of the reasons why they teach you as a wedding photographer to use bounce flash, because if you use a gigantic white vaulted ceiling, it doesn't need a ton of power. And that's good because most speed lights aren't very powerful compared to big strobes. Now, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing, my guess is I probably had a 600 watt second strobe at about an eighth power here, something like that. And then I had it going through a 70 inch softbox, hitting a gigantic white wall, and then hitting a scrim as it passed through on the other side to just like diffuse, 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 diffuse. And I just, I just liked the way it looked. 
So yeah, it looks beautiful. Thanks. But then, uh, you know, once again, this is an example of no grid, but this is an example of a, actually this is, oh, here's what I did with this. I took a 70 inch rear facing umbrella. I got it like a foot and a half away from the model. And then I took two flags and I, 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 I like, if, if you've got a gigantic circle here, I took the two flags and I just moved them to where there was just like a strip. I almost, I more or less made like a strip softbox with it, but, yeah. but it was a much softer light than a strip softbox. This is a gigantic ass 70 inch, you know, yeah, rear facing umbrella. You, you created that like Aphrodite in the Greek bedchamber painted by Raphael or something like that. You that's, know what I mean? Well, that's how you get that instant Renaissance look. Uh, once again, experimenting with the scrims, I took light and I bounced it off of a white wall and then had it hit scrims going back through the model. And that's very beautiful, in my opinion, the kind of high key-ish looking lighting, uh, very soft, kind of painterly is yeah. a good word. Well, would you recommend that kind of lighting for textures or like, you know, maybe comment on the way it affects textures versus directional light with the cheetah stand, you know, an inverse umbrella? Well, it's just the, the transitions get lost a little bit more. It's softer lighting. So uh, what do we emulate with soft light? We emulate, uh, you have a north facing window, right? Mm -hmm. Like that. So this is a model Sadie. Um, her agency has their own uh, studio, and it's a mixed light studio. So there's oh, this is like the door. I, I said stand right ne next to the door, and then I took a picture of her with a seventy inch rear facing umbrella. And when you look, the lighting is kind of the same. Now the vibes are pretty similar. One one was shot through a window, and one was shot through a softbox. That is what you're trying to achieve. That look is what you're trying to achieve, that kind of window-ish look. And then, of course, your catch light is the shape of the softbox. So if you want a circular catch light, you use a circular softbox. If you want it to look like a window, an actual window that's rectangular, you could use a rectangular softbox, and then that catch light would look a little bit more like a window. So uh, now when you take soft light again, you get that. Uh, that was not... Center diffuse, that's why, and of course, with uh, darker skin, you get greater specular highlights. Uh, but once again, soft light. So you can get some cool stuff. Uh, I did this one on film with softer light. Soft light uh, has its advantages, and some people gravitate toward it, and I gravitate toward it when I need it. But uh, hard light also kicks ass, in my opinion. I so, agree. Yeah, I, I think, I think. Uh, I, oh, I mean, people who go shoot at golden hour, like I like shooting men in harder light because I want that prominent masculine jawline, and I'm only going to get that with shadow, with like hard shadows. You know, you're not going to get that with soft light, and so uh, that's something to keep in mind. Um, another thing I want to talk about is continuous light. So, uh, what I love about continuous light is just look at all these different combinations you can get with it. Like it's very artistic, and. I can't really get this. I, I, can I technically get these results with strobes? Sure, I can get these results with strobes, but I'm, it's going to take me a lot longer because you don't get that instant feedback of what it's going to look like. When I take two lights and I'm like, oh, I got a cyan light and I got kind of a magenta light uh, focused on the model. As a matter of fact, the two lights you see behind us right now are the two lights I use for this shot. I've repurposed them for our studio. And I just shine these lights on her. And, it, and it, it looked great. Now, these lights are square lights. And hey, what do you know? You've got a square catch light right there. So um, there it is once again being used, that same exact color scheme. Uh, and then I want to talk about mixing 
continuous light and strobes. So what you see right here, this is a technique called shutter drag. I'm sure a lot of you watching this know exactly what shutter drag is. There's shutter drag again, there's shutter drag again. And so uh, people ask, oh, how do you get those really beautiful shots? And so what you do is you blast them with a strobe, which is what you're looking at right here. Uh, I hit her with a strobe from the left. As a matter of fact, do you see this right here? Those are the grids from a strip soft box, which I think looks cool. And then I use a uh, very small light off to the right. Uh, it was a little 60 watt small light. And that's what's creating this rim right here. And it's what's creating that drip of light coming off her body. So what I do in that situation is you hit them with the strobe so you can see what's going on. You can see the shape, you can see their body, but then you create that motion uh, with a long shutter speed. So in this case, this is like a two second exposure. I've, I've always heard people say that like, oh, you should do uh, shutter drag at about an eighth of a second. And when I'm doing stuff like weddings, that makes sense. But when I'm in the studio, I tend to go on the one to two second side. And that's how I get shots like this. Um, and so that's a really cool shot of Tatum. It's a really good model. And then here's a shot of a model named Peyton. Uh, and you can see like there's streams coming off her face. So what I did there is I used a projector. Um, I flashed her with a projector and then I used that very same projector's modeling lamp to burn. So in that two second delay, as that shutter's open, you have a burn happening. And what you do is you take your camera and you drag it. And that's how you get that lateral movement there. And I've done some pretty crazy shutter drags before. Uh, here's kind of another one where I'm projecting stuff. Uh, obviously you can see that I drag down. That's why her head is going that way. And yeah, and you're looking at miter sauce. Yeah, well, <laughs> I was gonna pull up some shutter drag shots from one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite photographers right now, Ben Formi. Um, I think that's how you spell it or, or pronounce it. But I, I wanted to ask a question instead. Um, because you've got the shutter open for so long, uh, do you need to have a strong flash for this, or can this be done with? an on-camera flash, or even a small um, pocket flash? You only need a strong enough flash to freeze them, and you really, you don't, the answer is no, you do not. As a matter of fact, you can get by with, like, just a, a speed light. You can get by with something like this. So this is a uh, Flashpoint, it's the uh, R2, I, I don't remember what Godox calls it, but yeah, uh, I think this is like a 40 watt second uh, speed light. Now I like to use 600 watt second, 400 watt second type strobes in the studio because I like fast recycle times and I like to shoot stops down at F8 or F11. And so you need a lot of light to do that. But not everybody does that. Some people like to shoot at f2.8 because they like that fast, uh, that fast depth of field fall off. And hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you like to shoot wide open, you don't need as powerful of a flash because you'll freeze faster because the aperture's open. Um, shutter speed to a degree, for those of you who don't know a lot about studio photography, if you have your house lights off, shutter speed more or less doesn't matter unless you start getting into that shutter drag territory. If you're shooting between like 120th and one, whatever your shutter sync speed is, one 125th in the case of my Fuji GFX, all the way up to, I think some Nikons are one 250th. A anywhere between like a 20th and a 250th of a second, depending on your shutter sync speed, it's not going to make any difference on your on your image unless you have super bright modeling lamps that burn in, which most people aren't going to have modeling lamps that bright. Now, if you have your house lights on, 
that could be a problem because you could have burn-in from the house lights, and of course they're fluorescent, and you're going to have this weird green color cast in all your images, and that will suck. But uh, that's that's you know to, to answer your question, you don't need a bright flash for, for especially for shutter drag because it's such a long exposure. You know, uh, what you do need for shutter drag is your modeling lamp needs to be bright enough especially at the aperture you're shooting at. So if you're shooting at F11 and you're doing shutter drag, you need to do a longer exposure to burn in that shutter drag. Because if it's so closed down, so stopped down that you can't burn into the image, then you know you kind of miss the effect. And shutter drag really is hit or miss. So I showed you some examples. I might take 10 or 15 shots before I get one I'm happy with. You do start learning though. Like I, I like to do lateral movements when I do shutter drag. Uh, you can also do zoom ins. Uh, I'll put some examples of some shutter drag zoom ins I did at a wedding last night. Uh, you'll see it uh, in the broadcast. Uh, but uh, another another thing I want to talk about is silhouettes. I love doing silhouettes. So like with this, you just get a white backdrop. You blast that white backdrop, and then it comes back, and you get a silhouette. I love doing this one with engagement photos, uh, especially you get the the you know, the, the mother to be, uh, sideways in this case, he wanted to kiss her belly and, uh, do the, do the, the horn sign. Um, but I, you know, in that case I said, Hey, make sure you extend your lips out a lot because you want to over-exaggerate everything. And so he did. And so that's what we got with that. So, um, but just want to like touch, touch up on some basic things about light today. Um, uh, low key, high key lighting. We might get into that at a later date. I uh, talked about trade-offs, but hopefully uh, in today's episode, you do see the power that you can have with light. You are adding another notch to your belt. You are taking control of your situation. And you don't do that uh, if the sun controls you. Like, like, I only shoot photography when the sun is out. Well, then you're not in control. The sun is in control. And, you know, I have a studio. I go shoot whenever I want to. That's the nice thing about learning Flash is I can go do whatever I want. Now, if you're shooting something specific, okay, whatever. But, like, even, like, uh, astrophotographers, they, they, sh they use Flash. Or they at least use light. They paint with light. Remember, we had uh, Katrina Brown as one of our guests. And she takes pictures of the Milky Way, but then she paints her foreground with light. Yep. And so... You know, to say, oh, I'm a natural light photographer. What does that even mean? You know, because like landscape photographers who take night photos also will paint with light and they'll they'll use light, supplemental light to make their foregrounds look more interesting because otherwise, and I'll show this to you uh, as an example on the screen. I went on a trip with my father and I was experimenting with paint with light. I didn't do a very good job, but you can still see in these examples what I was going for. It's like, uh, I'll show you a shot with no painting and you'll just see a, a, a sky at blue hour and nothing in the foreground, just shadow. Or I whip out my flashlight and I just move it around for like a half a second and it paints that entire foreground. And so, you know, understanding light, like I said, photograph, that is literally what you do. You capture light. And that's what we do on this channel. That does it for today's episode. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening and watching today. Uh, F11pod.com is where you can find us. Our social media handle, F11pod. And, uh, Hopefully, uh, some of you who have discovered us for the first time understand that we do banter for a few minutes at the beginning of our episodes, and then we get into the subject. But I know if you're still watching this episode, you're smart enough to use a slider to fast forward. So we thank you for being uh, above the intelligence threshold. 
And until next time, chase light and not algorithms. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about this podcast, go to www.f11pod.com.